You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's what Jesus said to and what Jesus said about his followers. You're the salt. You're the light. What a thing for Jesus to say. What on earth did he mean? What a privilege he was giving his followers a very special and a particular place and role in the world. You're not just the same as everyone else, he's saying. There is the earth. And then there's the salt of the earth. There's the world. And then there's the light of the world. And it's about something that makes a difference and an impact. They're not the same, salt and earth, light in the world. Now, in Jesus' days, salt was not simply a condiment, not something that simply sat on the table next to pepper. Um, salt was often used as, as a preservative, too, in the days before refrigeration. Um, one of the ways to keep meat fresh that bit longer was to rub it in and with salt and to cure it that way. Salt was for stopping things going bad. And Jesus was saying, you, my followers, you're the hope of the world that things don't get worse. You are the hope of the world that the light, God's meaning, God's purpose, God's salvation can be found. Now in verses um, 3 to 10 of the passage that Helen read, the Beatitudes, Jesus is saying that those who are his followers are not folk who are just a wee bit different, slightly different from him. They're very different. They're as different as light is from darkness, as salt is from the earth. Very, very different. And Jesus himself lived in a way that was very different from what people wanted and what people expected from life. Jesus was not crucified because he made sense to everybody else. Jesus was not crucified because what he was saying and doing fitted in with what was popular at the time. He wasn't crucified because what he was doing and saying fitted in with what people already thought, what people had already chosen, what people were already about. He was saying something very, very different. And the followers of Jesus then are committed to a way that doesn't make sense in the world's eyes. Look again at verses 3 to 10. To be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, pure in heart, peacemakers, and so on. And to follow Jesus is to respond to his call to be part of a people who are very different. And people who make a difference 
people who understand and see things in a way that doesn't make any sense at all except through Jesus. Jesus' people are called then to be different, to be distinctive. You don't put salt on more salt. You don't stop salt from going bad by giving it more salt. Light and darkness are not the same. They're opposites. When you have one, you don't have the other. So right away, Jesus is saying that those who follow his way are people who are very different. And if Christians are pretty much indistinguishable from the rest of the world in terms of what we are living for, what are our priorities, what are our ambitions, what are our daily goals, then we are useless. Salt that's lost its saltiness, verse 13, is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. There's no B prize there. There's no consolation prize. There's no second prize. You're either salt or you're worthless. And again, verse 15. If the light is hidden, what's the point? It's not what people do with light, is it? Salt and light are to be effective. They make a difference. So this distinctiveness that Jesus calls us to is is something that should speak to people, should have a message. Okay, it might not be a message that people always want to hear, they crucified Jesus, but it's a way of life that is other than very different. Now you might have heard it said by some that, or said of some, that they're so heavenly minded as to be no earthly use. Oh, you have. I think the besetting sin of the church is that we're so earthly-minded that we're not much heavenly use. That's the truth of the matter. Very often I think when people say they're so heavenly-minded as to be no earthly use that we're saying this to let ourselves off the hook. It's down a besetting sin of the church down through the centuries that the church has taken on the prevailing attitudes of its place and time rather than march to the very different drum that Jesus had beaten. How else do we explain the ways in which the church grabbed, stored, and flaunted its wealth? How else do we explain its reliance on political scheming the use of armed force to spread Christianity, participation in and turning a blind eye to the slave trade. It's welcome reliance on privilege. Following these days and what can be done these days rather than scripture and personal ethics, not least in the area of human sexuality. Well, you can't do that these days, can't say that these days. And it's easier, of course, for us to see the false alliances in other places and other times, isn't it? 
How could they possibly justify the Crusades? What did they think they were doing? Was that the mission of Jesus? How could Christians endorse the slave trade? How did these rich merchants who were so generous at home and so philanthropic and everything else be people who were responsible for thousands of folks being captured, stuffed in boats where many of them died, chucked overboard and the survivors sold into slavery on the other side of the world? How, how could they do that? Is that not an issue? How come in 1930s Germany the church backed Hitler and the Third Reich and the message of National Socialism. How, how could they do that? How come the folks who stood against that and the Dietrich Bonhoeffer and so on were in such a small minority? How, most folks went along with it. How could they? How, how, did, how did the post-war church in South Africa, not only accept, but, but actually teach and bolster apartheid. How could they do that? Say a whole section of the population are second or third class, you can't go to the same toilet, you can't use the same beach, you can't... How, how did the church do that? You see, it's, it's, it's easy or easy air with hindsight and everything else to, to look back on those kind of instances and say what were they thinking? Why were they not listening to Jesus? And yet maybe as we think in these things we should remember the same Jesus who said let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. It's easier, Jesus said, to spot the speck in somebody else's eye and miss the log in your own. And it's harder to spot what's wrong in our times and to stand against that because we get used, all of us do, we, we get used to what's around us. We get used to what everyone else is saying. And we make so often the same rationalizations. The place in our world given to the nation state. And the way that we determine our borders and, and look after our own at the expense of others. People's pursuit of guaranteed security. And in fact, there is no such thing. The cult of consumerism, we've bought into it, have we not? The whole idea that faith is a very private thing. Our dalliance with others in the same self-help therapies. Horoscopes. The abandonment of what Scripture teaches about marriage. The acceptance of pluralist ideas and truth, that there is no one truth, but, well, there's your truth, my truth, and everybody else's. 
The setting of our moral compass by what makes us feel good. If it makes us feel good, it must be okay. These and many other things are taken on board by Christians today, by the church today, even though the gospel criticizes and condemns them. They're trying to tailor our our message to fit in with what people already think. The downplaying of sin and judgment and hell. They're trying to change the Bible's teachings so that it becomes acceptable to others. So, for example, the daftness of commentators who said the feeding of the 5,000 was really the, boy, the crowd there were all inspired by the boy's generosity and they all brought out their own packed lunch and shared the packed lunch. They say that, it's in the commentaries. What, you don't believe that Jesus could do a miracle? So many ways we've just tried to make it fit in. Virgin birth can't possibly maintain that in these days. And they have a motivation of trying to seem reasonable in the eyes of our neighbors, but they so change the gospel that it's no longer salt-making and light-giving. Now, getting to grips with all of that is not easy. It's not simple to go against the flow. Working out what's at stake and, and what to stand by takes effort. And it's another reason for us asking, encouraging folks to think that we need to meet together to share ideas, to ask for help, to encourage one another. Because on our own, we are even less able to identify the issues, identify the waters in which we swim. And if we care about Jesus then surely we care about following Jesus. And we care about being salt and light, showing and sharing the life of Christ in in whom we are. And the impact of the church right from New Testament times has been more to do with the quality of her living rather than the quantity of her activity. It's when people have put poor in spirit and mourn and meek and hunger and thirsting from righteousness and all these into practice and daily life that the church has been salt and the church has been light and salt and light make a difference. So the calling to be salt and light is there's a distinctiveness. It doesn't excuse us being odd. There's no virtue in being odd for the sake of being odd. Um, Some of you are odd. Go on enjoying it. That's absolutely fine. But that's not the same thing as as being a Jesus follower, is it? And we're not asked to dress the same way. We're not asked to, you know, put on a particular style. There's no rules about beards or anything like that. Women will be glad to hear that. Um, It's not about any of that. It's, It's about... What Jesus outlines in verses 3 to 10 there, poor in spirit and mournful and meek, it's about that being lived. That's distinctive, that's different. Because in our world, the blessedness is not those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. In our world, the blessedness is those who are hungering and thirsting for more wealth, 
more fame, more celebrity. In our world, the, the blessed are not the meek, but those who stand up for themselves, those who affirm themselves, those who make their own space and assert themselves. And so on. But as well as it being a call to be distinctive, it's also a call for us to be engaged in the world around us. The church is not to protect her Christ-likeness by hiding away from the world. Salt is not to remain in salt cellars, and light is not to be put under a bowl, as Jesus said in verse 15. We only do what Jesus has called us to do We're only what Jesus says we are when we are both distinctive, yes, but also engaged in the world. Salt and light give and go. They have an impact on the meat stopping it going bad or in the darkness and casting it away. These illustrations that Jesus uses in verses 13 to 16 stress contact with the world without losing our distinctiveness, without leaving the ways of Jesus behind. We are to engage in the world around us, the values around us, but show the values of Jesus in that setting. And so sharing the Lord's message is not simply, would you come to church with me, although it might help. It's not simply giving someone a few Bible verses. There's a time and a place for that too. But it's a faithfully lived Engaged way of life following Jesus in the world. I don't often um, from here quote um, other writers or from from books, but I'm going to today, and it's a a reasonably lengthy quote. It's from John Stott's book about issues facing Christians today, and I, I quote it because I couldn't think of any way to put this other or better. Stott writes, our Christian habit is to bewail the world's deteriorating standards. We criticize its violence, dishonesty, immorality, disregard for human life, materialistic greed. Ever done that? Well, the world's getting worse. Who knows? Oh, goodness sake, it's getting worse. I wa- I stop watching the news. It's so bad, it's getting worse. Stott's right, we do that, right? And then he says, whose fault is that? Who's to blame? If the house is dark when nightfall comes, there is no sense in blaming the house, for that is what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where's the light? If the meat goes bad and becomes inedible, there is no sense in blaming the meat, for that is what happens when the bacteria are left alone to breed. The question to ask is, where is the salt? Just so. If society deteriorates and standards decline till it becomes like a dark night or stinking fish, there is no sense in blaming society, for that is what happens when fallen men and women are left to themselves. The question to ask is, where is the church? Why are the salt and light of Jesus Christ not permeating and changing society? It is sheer hypocrisy on our part 
to raise our eyebrows, shrug our shoulders, or wring our hands. The Lord Jesus told us to be the world's salt and light. End of quotation. And so we share the Lord's message because the gospel changes people. The gospel transforms people for living, from living for self to living for Christ and for others in Christ's name. And it also brings change to the world and the culture around us when more follow Jesus. And sharing the Lord's message is not so that we can have bigger meetings or that there's a future for our club. It is taking our part in the life of God, the mission of God in the world. And this call to be salt and light is how we ourselves are blessed, verses 3 to 10. Jesus didn't say, look, it's Go on and be poor in spirit and just put up with it. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so on. And that is where, so it's how we are blessed. It's also how the world is best served. For the world needs good gospel influence. That's what salt and light are supposed to be doing. And then best of all, verse 16. This is how God is glorified. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Does God deserve getting glory? Does God deserve getting honor? It's when we are salt and light and others see it. There is no use in the world for a church that has nothing to say to it, no life of Jesus to show. But nor is there any use for a church that has nobody to say it to or show it to. We have to be both distinctive and engaged in the world. And the ties together that we were talking about last week in in loving the Lord's people about building the body of Christ is towards this because we need a stronger body of Christ if we are to live lives that are both distinctive and engaged. It does not happen naturally. It is not the air around us. So there's a call not for quick and easy solutions. They do not exist. But a call for the people of God to be sharing with one another, meeting with one another, talking with one another, saying, how do we live for Jesus today? And there's a role for the people of God correcting one another. Not beating others up, but just saying, come on, as a Christian, should you be doing that? Really? Really? Because we don't do that, that we're not salt and light enough. And because then the world doesn't see Jesus enough. We began the service with Philippians 1.6 as the call to worship. God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's the confidence. None None of us have lived perfect lives. None of us have followed Jesus as well as we'd want to. None of us have been great. 
as we would like to have been in, in our service to him. But, and I know this because Jesus said this to groups of people who included his disciples, and as we read later on through the Gospels, we find the disciples bickering. We, we find them trying to get special places. We find them running away when Jesus wanted them to stay with them and, and all kinds of stuff. They, they mucked up as well, okay? And to that mucking up bunch of followers, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And to this bunch of mucking up followers, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let us pray.